Hello, um, I'm Michelle and I'm a third year studying accounting and business law. And yeah, some context for the passage today is that Jesus is going around um, performing miracles and teaching. And in this passage, he um, says a few parables, which are um, short stories with a moral or spiritual lesson that Jesus used to tell. And um, yeah, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Mark 4, 1 to 34, or you can um, look on the handout. We've got it printed there for you. So, um, Mark 4, 1-34. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others um, fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that... They may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, 
Even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Well, good afternoon, everyone. For those of you I don't know, uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the staff workers with the Christian Union. I'd like to begin by telling you about a particular book. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have any of you read it? Oh, only a couple. Anyway, this is a classic, written back in the 1930s. Uh, it was a bestseller back then, and it is still a bestseller today. When I first heard about this book, I assumed that this was a book all about how to manipulate people and get your own way. So I assumed quite poorly of it. Uh, but one day I was staying at a friend's house. I saw he had it on the shelf. So I thought, I'll have a quick look and see what rubbish is inside. So I read the first chapter and found it surprisingly helpful and quite useful. So I thought, I'll bet the next chapter's rubbish. So I read the next chapter and again thought, this is actually full of some really practical advice and wisdom that I need to hear. I then finished the book and found the whole thing really beneficial. Let me share with you one particular example from the book. Not a long quote, just a title. Principle number four. Be a good listener. Who'd have thought? <laughs> now that chapter, lots of all these anecdotes about conversations the author has had where he thought he'd just shut up and listen. And when he listened, it just transforms the relationship. It made people feel valuable, like they were important. What we must not do is be that person who is just waiting for the little gap in the conversation so they can jump in and say the thing that they've been waiting to say. But no, learn to be a good listener. Now, as we come to Mark chapter 4, Jesus begins his lesson in verse 3 with the word, listen. And then when he gets to the end of the parable in verse 9, he concludes by saying, whoever has ears to hear, listen up. And then the parable itself, the parable of the four soils, it's a parable about four different ways that people listen to the word of God. So listening is a very important theme in this chapter. But Mark is not trying to teach us 
how to be a good relational listener, like this book is talking about. No, this is the kind of listening where you need to listen because you need to hear it. So the question before us is, are you listening to Jesus? Well, before we look at the parable of the four soils, please come with me to verses 10 to 12. The question before us in verses 10 to 12 is, why does Jesus use parables at all? What is he doing? From verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, notice firstly, there is an inside circle and an outside circle. There's two groups. And we can see in verse 10 that this inside circle, it is more than just the 12 disciples. It's a larger group and it consists of all of those people who have given their allegiance to Jesus to be his follower. And we're then told right at the end of our passage, down in verse 34, that to this group, Jesus explains everything. It's clear. It's all out in the open. But for those on the outside, those in the crowd who are maybe just listening in, maybe hoping to see Jesus do a miracle, just kind of sussing Jesus out in this very non-committal kind of fashion, to those on the outside... Jesus intentionally veils his message. He doesn't want to be understood by those who have not joined his inner circle. At least, he doesn't want to be understood by them yet. Now again, looking at verse 10, we see what is the message that Jesus is proclaiming? And that it is all about the kingdom of God. Now, if you're living in first century Israel, that is a very dangerous message to talk about the kingdom of God because to the Jews of, those da- of that day, they would have understood the coming of the kingdom as being a military uprising to overthrow the Romans and liberate the nation of Israel. And so if word got out among the crowds that Jesus was trying to start a military uprising, well, that would have gotten in the way of the mission that Jesus had actually come to do. So for this particular period of time, this period of his ministry, he's keeping his message about the kingdom veiled. Later on, he will reveal it when he's being put on trial before his crucifixion. Then he announces plainly that he is the Christ. The veil is taken away. But there is a second reason why Jesus does not want to be understood by the crowds. And the other reason is that this is an act of judgment upon the nation of Israel. Look with me at verse 12. Uh, Verse 12 is a quote 
from the prophet Isaiah. Verse 12 says, That they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now the quote from Isaiah 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has just been commissioned to become a prophet to the nation of Israel. But he is given a horrible task. By the time Isaiah begins preaching, God has already made up his mind. He's run out of patience with Israel and decided that Israel will be destroyed by invading armies, by the Assyrians and later the Babylonians. And so Isaiah's task is not to call the nation to repent to avoid the disaster, but to preach judgment upon them as a nation. But as he preaches, he also preaches about a small remnant who God will save from that coming judgment. It is through the preaching of Isaiah's word, the word of God, that this remnant will be saved from the coming judgment. Now, in the same way, uh, Jesus' audience is quite similar. In Jesus' day, God has already decided that the nation of Israel is going to come under his judgment. They will be destroyed by the Romans. Now, as we read ahead in Mark's Gospel, we see in chapter 11, Jesus talks about Israel as being like a fig tree that bears no fruit. And then in the next chapter, chapter 12, he tells a parable about wicked tenants in a vineyard. It describes Israel as these wicked people who kill the prophets and then are going to kill the Son of God. And the end result for those tenants is that they themselves will be destroyed. And as we look back in history, that's exactly what happened. In the year 70 AD, the Romans lost patience with Israel and completely wiped them off the map, which we can understand as a judgment from God. Now, just like the Israelites in Isaiah's day, the Israelites Jesus is talking to would have believed that they were members of the kingdom of God simply by the fact that they were Israelites, the chosen people. So they thought, we will be fine. But now Jesus speaks to them in such a way that shows you are in the same position as Isaiah's audience. You are under the judgment of God. But now as Jesus preaches the word... There is a new remnant being saved. Jesus is creating a new people of God, which begins with his inner circle, those who follow him. Because the way you become a member of the kingdom of God is not by your birth and your ethnicity. Now the way you become a member of the kingdom of God is by giving your allegiance to the king of that kingdom, by being one of Jesus' followers. Well, let's turn now to the parable of the sower itself. We'll look at the four soils each in turn. If you found that first part complex and hard, this next part is much easier. The parable itself is still quite difficult. 
But we have the great advantage that Jesus himself explains it all to us. So to us, it is clear. Well, we have four soils to, con- uh, to consider. First, we have the seed that falls on the path. We have the parable in verses 3 and 4, and then the interpretation is given down in verses 14 and 15. So I'll begin reading from verse 3. You can follow along in your outlines. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now down to verse 14, now we have the interpretation. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, if there was ever a message that you need to listen to carefully, it would have to be this message about the kingdom of God, where heaven and hell is at stake. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, imagine you're sitting at home, watching TV, and then you look out the window, and you see all of your neighbours running down the street as fast as they can, in the same direction, and they're yelling, RUN! What do you do? Keep watching TV? No, you you run out the front door, you find out what are they running away from, and assuming they've got some good reason for it, you run with them. And then when the bushfire sweeps through your suburb and burns your house to a crisp, gosh, you'll be glad that you listened to the warning. Well, Jesus has been preaching a warning about heaven and hell being at stake. And Christians today, all over the world, we continue to proclaim that same warning. There is a fire coming. You need to run. I've known some Christians who have even put their life at incredible risk in order to share this message with others. And even then, there are so many in the world who cannot be bothered listening. It's like they're sitting at home, watching mindless drivel on TV, ignoring the crowds, running down the street, warning them to run. Now, notice also, we are told what the birds represent. The birds represent Satan. Satan wants nothing more than for you to ignore the word of God. And there's a reason for that, because Satan is the father of lies. And so if the only weapon you have is lies, but then God comes and speaks truth, you've got nothing left to work with. The devil's lies are destroyed. And so if you listen to the word of God, that actually protects you from the attacks of the devil. But if you ignore the word of God and will not listen, then you are falling into Satan's hands. Let's turn now to soil number two. Seed on rocky ground. We have the parable in verses 5 and 6, and then the interpretation down in verses 16 and 17. 
Verse 5. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Now the interpretation is down in verse 16. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When I was a university student, just like you are now, I went to university in Canberra, the ANU. I was a member of the Christian Union. And at the end of my second year of uni, we had our annual general meeting and we elected a new committee, this group of keen, enthusiastic and committed Christians. And then we all went away for the summer. I came back a couple of months later and our staff workers, our equivalent of Ben Ray, he came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Tom, I really need to talk to you. So we went and found somewhere private that we could sit down and talk. And he shared with me that the girl who we had just elected to be the president of our Christian union had gone through some hard times over the summer and had now decided she was no longer a follower of Jesus. And so I was asked if I'd put my hand up to take her place. It was quite a shock because that girl, she was a joyful, happy, bubbly personality. She was at the centre of the social life of the Christian Union. But she was not prepared for suffering, for hardship and disappointments. And when hardship came, she just fell apart. Now, I look around this room and I see so many joyful, cheerful Christians, and I'm so pleased about it. But I want to ask you, are you prepared to suffer? To suffer for Jesus and to suffer in ways that you don't know why you're suffering, but are you prepared to trust Jesus through hardship, through suffering? Because if you're not prepared for hardship, you will face trials and you won't last. You will fall apart too. So I want to say, if you are a Christian, I want to ask you, do you really know what it is you have signed up for? I remember when I first became a Christian myself as a 17-year-old, and I'd like to share with you the prayer that I prayed when I first gave my life to Christ. I prayed and said, Lord Jesus, my life belongs to you. Do with me whatever you wish. Okay, that was my prayer. Now, I've got to say, many times since i prayed that prayer, I've been upset with God. I've been angry with God. All sorts of things that I have wanted that God has not given. All sorts of disappointments. And there have been times where it's been very tempting to be bitter, to be just frustrated with God, to push him away. And at the worst time, some of us may even feel the temptation to just throw away our faith. 
But one thing that has kept me going through those hard times is I come back to that prayer that I prayed. Lord Jesus, my life belongs to you. Do with me whatever you wish. Now, you can't pray that prayer and then the next moment turn around and say, God, how dare you not make my life turn out the way I want it to? And so when I remember what I've signed up for, and when I pray that prayer afresh, that has helped me to persevere. But if you don't know what you've signed up for, trials and hardships will come, and they may scorch you and cause you to wither. So please be prepared. If you're a Christian, you've signed up to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And if you didn't realise that that's what you'd signed up for, well, you've heard it now. Let us come now to soil number three, the seed among the thorns. We have the parable in verse 7 and then the explanation in verses 18 and 19. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, so that they did not bear fruit. Okay, now come with me down to verse 18. The interpretation. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, Come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's quite broad categories. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things. There is an awful lot of things that that could be talking about in your life. Now, I'd like to suggest three thorns, which I think are a particular danger for your stage of life while you're at university. There's many more. There's many more that we could discuss, but for the sake of time, I'm going to mention just three. Thorn number one is the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, Jesus gives that one a special mention, and he's specific about that one. But notice he does not say wealth itself is the thorn. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. It's when you are deceived into thinking, if only I had more money, then I would be happy. If only I had more things, more gadgets, more conveniences, then I'd be okay. And so there are some people who profess to live for Jesus, but because of their desire for wealth, well, they start working longer hours and skip Bible study. Then they buy that house that's too big and too expensive and then under the pressure of the mortgage, they stop giving. Then they start working Sundays and missing church and next thing you know, they are choked by the thorns. Thorn number two. The desire to be liked and to fit in with your peers it's when your friends mock you for being a Christian. They make fun of your beliefs. It's when they urge you to come and get drunk with them or start sleeping around like they are all doing. That pressure can have a bigger influence on us than we might realise. 
And sadly, there are many, especially in your age group, who would prefer to fit in and be liked. That desire for other things pulls them away. And they are choked by the thorns. Thorn number three is having a romantic relationship with somebody who does not share your Christian convictions. Now, when you're simply dating, that might come with pressure to start sleeping together when you know you shouldn't be. But for those who get married, it gets even more complicated. For those who are married to someone who does not share their convictions, well, you want them to come with you to church, but they just as strongly want you to stay home with them. You want to pray together. They think praying is stupid and a waste of time. And then if you have children, you want your children to know Christ and to come to church, but your spouse says, no, no, they can stay home and watch TV and tells the kids Jesus is just a stupid myth anyway. I've heard heartbreaking stories of people who have watched an unbelieving spouse undermine the gospel and destroy the faith of their children. Okay, please don't go down that path. It is a very painful path to take and many don't cope and they throw the faith away themselves and they are choked by the thorns. Now that's just a short selection. There's many other thorns we could discuss. But whatever it is for you, if there is something that you need to take action on, please take action. If you need to repent of something, repent of it today. Well, let's come now to our fourth and final soil. We have the parable in verse 8 and then the interpretation in verse 20. And after all the warnings, now we come to the good one. Verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And now the interpretation down in verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now I just have one question to ask from this fourth soil. What does it mean to bear fruit? Uh, this metaphor is very common. It's all throughout the Bible. And it's easy to assume that to bear fruit simply means to do good deeds. You know, give to charity. Don't say anything too nasty. Don't do anything too bad. However, bearing fruit is a metaphor with a more specific meaning than that. It refers especially to living in such a way that you give glory and honour to God. So bearing fruit must be God-focused. It must be Jesus-focused, not just good works, generally speaking. In John's Gospel... Jesus says these words, they may be familiar to you. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's quite possible to do good works, to give to charity, and at the same time, hate God and reject Jesus. 
that's not bearing fruit. Now the person who the person who bears fruit is the person who is loyal to Jesus as their king and who listens to Jesus. So I want to close by asking you the question, are you bearing fruit? Does your allegiance lie with the king of the kingdom of God? Are you listening to him? Are you bearing fruit? Now if your concern is that you are not bearing fruit, you might like to consider how you are listening. Because the first soil wasn't listening properly. But are you giving the word of God a proper hearing? The second soil wasn't listening properly. But do you know what you've signed up for? And the third soil wasn't listening properly. But are you listening to the warning of the thorns and taking action? If you listen well, you will bear fruit. So Jesus urges us, pay attention, be attentive, and if anyone has ears to hear, listen up. Well, please join with me now as we pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to be those who listen well. Father, please grant that we might be people who bear fruit to the glory and honour of Jesus and help us, Father, to avoid those snares that would make us unfruitful. Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son and our King, Jesus Christ.